This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, LS Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Hello, Michael. Hi. It is very, very good to have you on. Thank you for agreeing to take part. No, thank you for asking me. It's great. We have got loads to talk about and people will be happy because it is Swindon dominated because we pretty much start with Swindon, but we'll go right before you join Swindon Town. So when you were younger, and I'm hoping the answer is the right one, who did you support and who were your childhood heroes? Yeah, it's a pretty easy one. I mean, my dad uh, used to go to pretty much every Swindon game. So eventually I started to go with him. Um, so yeah, it was Swindon Town all the way for me as a kid, and I don't. I, I, I mean, the biggest season uh, was obviously getting into the Premier League, and and therefore I've, I've got to say Glenn Hoddle. But there were so many, um, and weirdly, I, I I always used to have Sean Taylor as one of my absolute heroes. But I'm just going to say Glenn Hoddle pips in there because uh, yeah, that that season when we got into the Premier League was just. It was just awesome, so uh, I'd probably say Glenn Hoddle. I completely agree. Sean Taylor is probably, for uh, those who were children at the time, everybody loved Sean Taylor, but there was something about Sean that was so different to everyone else. But Glenn Hoddle, and I've said this on this podcast before, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it in the future, he was the first footballer that I ever saw play 
who was clearly very, very good, world class. Who are we kidding? He was an absolutely phenomenal player. So, so you were going from that early on, then, yeah? Yeah, it was. Um, funnily enough, I uh, I watched a clip the other day, and it was like a hi- highlight reel of Glenn Hoddle, mm. um, and it made me realise just how good he was seeing that clip. Because obviously, as a youngster, I mean, your knowledge of the game isn't isn't as good as after you know being our age and being able to watch a few games but um yeah watching that highlight reel like you said he was absolutely like steps above everyone else on the pitch and to be honest like if he played in teams nowadays he'd probably stand out as well you know Mm. he was he was um that kind of player i mean sean taylor on the other side was just like the fans favorite wasn't he it was like he had a great song when you're a kid and you go into the game and everyone's got the Ooh, Sean Taylor on the go, you know, like you instantly like someone like that. Um, and he also always used to pop up with goals, didn't he, from yeah. corners? So, yeah, that was uh, that was that, that was they were the two that probably stick out the most for me. But um, early memories of of the town were were great, really. I mean, I used to go with my dad. We pretty much went to most home games. We had season tickets for quite a few seasons. Um, and he worked at Allied Dunbar at the time. So I don't know if you remember, but next to Tesco's used to be the the Allied Dunbar club where, you know, employees could go and I think non-employees as well could get in there before the game. So he used to go have a pint. Well, he had a pint. I probably had a, uh, an orange juice or whatever at that time. But yeah, that was that was the Saturday, really, us going there to the club. And then we'd, we'd cut through the bushes, walk around the, um, the running track and over to the game and... Um, Always used to sit in the Arco stand and pretty much had the same seats. My dad was a bit like that. He used to always do the same kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was great memories. And obviously the the promotion year to the Premier League was the best. And uh, luckily went to the final. And it was a, it was like for most of most of Swindon, like one of the biggest days out that probably the towns had because it seemed like everyone was there. Um, and obviously we got the result as well. So it was it was awesome. I wasn't there. No, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't there. It's one of those real. Like, I missed. I missed nineteen ninety because I was living in Germany. I doubt it would have gone anyway. I was only about six, and I missed Leicester uh, because well, my, my my parents are separated, and and I support Swindon because my my biological dad support supported them. He supports Chippenham now. Uh, we'll get to that a bit later, and okay. um, and. And he was working as a coach driver at the time. He worked for a company called Silver Knight, which did the Swindon Travel, did a lot of the Swindon Travel. They might have even sponsored Glenn Hoddle. It might have been Kevin Horlock. I can never remember. There's not much between the two, is there, really? But um, um, but he did the game working and watched it. And I was in Warminster just watching it on TV. And, uh, yeah, I've never really forgiven for that, to be fair, because, you know, I miss all the good stuff. Every you, Other than the 5-5... Five, five, you know, I miss almost every great event with Swindon because of moving away and priorities elsewhere, and I'm bitter on it. And well, I missed the Leicester game, but it was great to watch on ITV that day. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing, though. I mean, for us at our age, if you look back on that game, you were just—I oh, mean, as a kid, it. you just came away. You just came away saying, you know, great, we we've won a game of football. But it's not till you look back and you, you yeah. realise just how amazing that game was, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, the, the same applies to relegations because when Swindon got relegated from the uh, the Premier League, I rem- just remember going, well, we'll get up next year. We'll go up again next year and it was, and then we get relegated. But it was, it's just that, oh, for that, you know, youthful optimism of like, it doesn't really matter. Not like, 
football doesn't matter. It's just the fact that if we lose, it's just like, oh man. And then yeah. you talk about on a Monday at school and then you get on and then you're on to the next game. And, but know, that was it. In, in, the, in the Premier League, it was just the, it was that feeling, wasn't it? This mm. is the biggest bonus the club's ever had. And it was like, you know, Manchester United away, it wasn't going, it wasn't going to football game thinking, oh, we might beat Man United. It was just, oh wow, we're going to Manchester yeah. United away to watch Swindon and it was just you know it was just an amazing season I think me and my dad missed two games that year maybe in the Prem so I mean we just we just tried to watch everything we could and I think the fact that we had the season tickets maybe we got first dibs on the some of the away travel but yeah like I said it was just such a good season like going to all the games and and then just to see those clubs come to Swindon, you know, you go yeah. to Old Trafford to watch Man United is one thing, but when they're coming to the county ground and you think, it, you know, you look around and it's such a shock to see like teams of that stature at, at the county ground, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah it was a great, I, I still remember it quite well. I mean, the games are a bit fuzzy, but um, yeah, that was uh, definitely uh, the, the highlight of the, the Swindon support, uh, being a Swindon supporter, I'd say, over yeah. the years. Yeah, I, I I don't remember sort of beat for beat matches, but I do remember that feeling, like you said, like that almost like what are you doing here at the county grounds? You know, even <laughs> Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal all turn up. It just felt so surreal to be on grandstand so much and so forth. But yeah, so let's let's talk about Michael Pook, the young footballer. Then, so before we get to Swindon. Where did you play? What team did you play for? In in did you play regional? Were you straight into the Swindon Town system? I imagine you would have played local stuff first. Yeah, so always been playing my football in Swindon. Um, I'm sure the teams are still going today. I'm pretty pretty sure uh, Swindon Robins are still there. I'm not mm. I'm not 100 percent sure, but so yeah, started out at, at Swindon Robins. We we had pretty good team to be fair. We used to we used to run into Stratton. Stratton Juniors were the were the sort of like rivals of ours, and it was either us or them that would would probably win the league. Usually, them actually they were quite good. But um, so I started at Swindon Robins, and then there was a bit of a upheaval actually, and uh, a lot of the I can't remember exactly what went on, but a lot of the parents weren't happy about something, so they started a new club, which was Brunel Boys, um, and pretty much half the team, if not more, went over from Swindon Robins to Brunel Boys. And again, we had a good team. We used to run into Stratton again, uh, was our main rivals. Um, and Croft, Croft Juniors were another one. Um, but then, yeah, I got picked up. Um, Phil Cannon, who was the okay. head of like youth development at Swindon, started to come and watch a few games. And uh, yeah, then it was it was sort of like that time where we were getting asked to come on trials, which at that age, when you're sort of eight or nine, I think I think it was, pretty big deal really in your life to go on a trial and someone judging you on your ability but yeah I think it was a, a case of anyone that um, showed a bit of talent they sort of took on at the what they used to call the centre of excellence and uh, yeah so I started there quite young actually I'm going to say I was about eight or nine but I think anyone under 10 just fell in fell into the same age group as under 10s and then we were we were coached by um, Clive Maguire yeah who Everyone probably knows because he was, you know, he's been at the club or he had been at the club for so long doing the community office. Um, but yeah, he was he was our coach and we pretty much had Clive all the way through our our youth team, well, our centre of excellence days at Swindon. He he stayed with our age group, um, which was a great thing because, I mean, if anyone who knows him, he's just a great guy. Um, he was an awesome coach and he was just a lovely bloke as well and he still comes and watches some of the Siren Sister games who I play for now so 
Um, quite funny to see it go full circle from him coaching me at such a young age. But yeah, that was the that was the start of it. So I started quite quite young at the the centre of excellence, and then slowly worked my way up to uh, through the through that to get a scholarship um, on the three year sort of apprenticeship scheme that they they did back then. Yeah. So when you when you join at a young age, are you still able to play football elsewhere at that stage? Because things have changed a lot since then. Even though you know you're not old by any stretch of the imagination, but football has developed so much in that aspect um, in the last decade or so, hasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was totally different. The, you know, playing for Bruno Boys and Robins, everyone wants to win. All the parents want to win. It's just this. It's just how it is, isn't it? Which I think has changed nowadays, but. It did go from that. It went from the Sunday football, um, playing for playing for those teams, trying to win the league, to being at Swindon, where it was more about the coaching. You used to play matches with uh, like f- different time periods, and there was a lot of interchanging, like players coming and going. So there wasn't as much focus on results, and there was never anything to win at that age with the centre of excellence. It was it was all about player development and. To be honest, I think they they did a, they had a really good system. Um, obviously, didn't have all the funding like some of the bigger clubs um, to make it an academy. But um, yeah, I look back on it and do think it was it was you know it was really well run. And um, yeah, Phil Cannon was probably the the guy that started that for me. And uh, he was yeah he was the guy that the guy that got me there in the first place. But yeah, it was it was all good memories to be honest of the of the training and everything. Nice. So, what positions were you uh, were you playing when you were in the, uh, the centre of excellence? Were you always centre mid, or did you play around a little bit? I have been actually. Yeah, I've literally been centre midfield my entire life. Wow. I was. Yeah, I haven't really changed apart from one or two seasons when I was, or maybe one season tops where in the youth team where I got put up front because I kept winning headers, um, and for some reason, like we had a little thing going with. Uh, Lance, he was a striker at, uh, in the youth team, and we used to um, like sort of like have a little. Fl- like, I used to flick it on. It's a bit like Niall Quinn and Phillips, you know. But I was able to win the header, and, and Lance was running onto it. But apart from that, yeah, I spent nearly, nearly, I've spent my whole life playing midfield actually. So you'd like to think I'd know how to do it by now, but that could, could be in question. But who knows? um yeah that's that's really interesting because almost every no i will say it every other guest that i've ever had on here either started as a center forward or played around in midfield before going up front or going in defense most of them end up in defense or in goal i spend most of my time talking to defenders and goalkeepers i think um but to stay in the same position for so long is is quite impressive really yeah, it's, I've never really thought of it like that, to be honest. But yeah, that's that's pretty much how it has, has happened. Um, but yeah, still there now, actually, centre midfield. But I tend to have a bit of a deeper role. Um, movement is is a little bit more restricted at the moment. So um, yeah, but still somehow managing to get along in midfield. And it's what I enjoy, to be honest. I like to get on the ball. I like to try and pass it around. Um, and back in the day, I used to love trying to win it back. And you, you sort of do it. You know, it kind of natural natural fit for a midfielder, isn't it, to have those ideas about the game? I suppose so. It's just been the way way it's always been, I guess, as, as a midfielder. Hi, this is Jan Fjortoft, and welcome. And I'm on Loath Strangers. But it's so hard for Norwegian. Love Strangers. Let's move to the scholarship then. So, how many of you? 
I'll let go at the at the serious part of youth football then. So when you get over the line, how many don't quite make it? And w- was it competitive or, or, or how, how, how does it work out? Um, yeah, it's really competitive. I mean, it's 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 also like very difficult and very cutthroat. I mean, the first sort of chop is is at that first stage where you 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 get offered the scholarship in the first place. Obviously, there's a handful of guys. As you go up through the centre of excellence, each age group's got a team. So you'll have sort of 15, 16 lads in, in each age group. So you're able to put a team together. Um, and I guess at the end of that, we probably had in our first year around 10, 10 players, I'd imagine, that, that were then offered a, a scholarship. Um, and obviously, you then add on to the other years that have, are going through their scholarship. So you've got the second years and the third t- third years. And out of those players, you you kind of make up the what is probably you know the reserve part of the reserve team and obviously the youth team as well. So there was there was a first cut to get into that stage, and then I mean looking at looking at the numbers um, from the guys that made it from uh, scholars to first team. I mean it's 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 ones and twos at best, isn't it? It's yeah. really it's really small numbers. Um, and like anything, it tends to be those that maybe get a little bit of luck, get a chance. You have to get a chance. And I mean, in football, how hard, I mean, how hard is that these days? You know, it's such a such a tough business and and so results driven. It's um, it's not always the managers that look to the young lads to think, well, let's give them a chance. Usually, it's it's just them looking to get their next result, and it doesn't always fall down to a a young player getting a chance is it but yeah so I'd say numbers wise yeah I mean I can only think of a handful um, of guys that have, who have gone on to make uh, first team appearances I mean a few guys got a chance a few guys uh, made a few appearances but yeah I mean anything over sort of 10 appearances really was quite rare going from the youth team uh, into Swindon so I, I kind of look back on that with quite a lot of pride to be honest that um, I managed to you know, kind of do the full circle, if you will. You know, I started at a young age at Swindon at, in the Centre of Excellence, Did went through there, went through the, the scholarship and then, yeah, obviously got a few games under my belt. So it's uh, it's good to look back on and, yeah, it's good to kind of... I always, always remember Clive when he was in this community centre. He always used to, like, me coming down, they used to do a lot of Q&As and things with some of the youngsters. And it was quite nice to be able to be an example for those those young kids, you know, to be able to say to them, like, Michael was sat in your seat uh, when he was eight years old and he was coming here and getting trained trained by the same coaches um, and now he's playing in the first team and it felt like, you know, something where they could look at it and think, oh, that'd be great to do one day and, uh, yeah, it was a real nice, nice feeling being sort of a local lad and being able to go up through the levels like that it was great. Well, I mean, it was in my notes for a bit later on, but we might as well discuss it now while we're, while we're at it. I mean, if I'm thinking out loud here, in terms of what you achieved, regardless of what people, you know, thought about you, I can only think of the Thompson brothers that have made any sort of meaningful impact in the Swindon first team that graduated from the youth squad. You know, like you said, few, you know, five games, 10 games, 20 games, people like Billy Bowden and Miles Story could have easily played more had they stuck around, fallen out of favour, whatever. But only you, Nathan and Louis, I can think of that, that made an impact this side of the 21st century. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real difficult one. It, I mean, it's, it just goes with everything in football, but 
it, it's limited to the success as well, isn't it? If you've got a young guy coming through the ranks and he's he's racking up lots of first team appearances, they tend not to hang around it too long, do they? They get snapped up by other clubs, like we've seen um, some of those guys you mentioned. So, um, yeah, it was it was it was really good to to get that number of games for for the club that I've sort of supported as a kid. I mean, it's amazing really to think, but it just it really does boil down to a lot of a lot of hard work from from the players and the young the youngsters um behalf but you also have to have a bit of luck you have to have a manager that's you know got got a bit of belief in you and also got a bit of courage that he's you know not not afraid to put in a a youngster uh when there's you know he's, he's got a whole squad of players um and and you also got to look at the fact that if, if those managers are putting in youngsters, they're leaving out a pro somewhere along the lines who, you know, they'll probably be knocking on the manager's door and asking questions like every other player does. So a lot of things have to fall in place to get, you know, get your chance and and even more has to fall in place to keep it and, and, and keep going, really. So in that respect, it's, yeah, it's great. It's great to be able to say that happened. Um, and yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a uh, long shot I suppose yeah so early 2000s you're in the youth side who were your coaches during your your scholarship so the first first coach we had um who the coaches at Swindon took all three age groups so once you were a scholar yeah. you, you know the, the chap who was in charge which was Viz, Viv Busby yeah awesome guy I mean every, we still I mean all the guys when we get together and we talk I mean he was just he was so good um such a nice bloke but also a good coach and and just the right person to have as a young sort of adult, you know, starting starting out trying to make something of a career. And you got you need someone that's you know, sort of sort of can guide you through, but also has like got that caring aspect where he does care about people's futures and like you know their well being. And, and he was that guy, so he was the he was the first, um, the first of many, because actually. I mean, he left because I think the club was going through as it used to do. It's one of its downs in financially, and we had, you know, loads of money problems um, in one season. I think that as a result, um, Viv ended up leaving, and then we had a whole host of coaches after that. One of um, one of which was uh, Ian Wone. So that was a that was a good one for, uh, for you know for some young players uh, starting out to have a coach of you know that calibre was was pretty good we used to call him moany woany though because he was pretty he did moan i mean i moan a lot but he used to moan a, a lot and i think we had a bit of a love-hate relationship because he liked to moan and i quite liked to answer back so um we had a little bit of that going on um but him and we also had a guy called i think it was mick lyons mike lyons was it was like one of andy king's mates who suddenly turned up one day and no one knew anything about it and he was an absolute psycho <laughs> um, he used to demand that he um, took control of the radio and the minibus and just played like these really sort of like chilled out uh, old school sort of like rock songs and yet he, yeah he was an absolute animal he used to like sort of batter us with all the jobs obviously as youngsters we had, we had the boots to clean and you know we had to clean the change rooms and that and you know he, he was the type of guy that would ask ask the guys if they'd done a good job of the cleaning the dressing room for example at the same time he'd throw like a a stick or a match or something under one of the benches and then he'd come back in and said are you sure it's clean and then we'd check and uh, you know then he'd look around like start role playing his thing and he'd say oh what's this under here and then we'd all be back in our training kit running around the, the pitch and things like that he was just he was just crazy but um 
yeah, I just remember us getting a bit of a bit of a beating for those times. I can't quite remember how long we had him for. Um, it was definitely sort of like an interim period, but I mean, as it goes, as 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 a as a coach goes, it was pretty brutal um, <laughs> and very old school. But yeah, and and then we had uh, um, Woney as well, so um, complete opposite, just a pure football guy. You know, great player as well, and it's quite cool to look at him now. You know, assistant coach at Burnley in the Premier League, and to think he was, you know, one of my coaches is 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 quite good. So he obviously had. What it te- what it takes um, yeah. to do it, but it was great. Yeah, I mean Mick Lyons definitely one of uh, Andy King's old pals. Um, he played over four hundred times for Everton, for goodness sake. And uh... yeah, there you go. So you remember him, but yeah, <laughs> I don't was, remember uh, him, but yeah. I know of, of Mick Lyons. Yeah. Well, we didn't. You know, he just kind of come in. He looked up. like we thought like Kingy got him off the street. He just looked like you know he just he just didn't look like he ever had anything to do with football. He just looked like he. He liked to fight in the street kind of thing. And everyone was so scared of him. He was probably a lovely bloke, but, you know, we were all sort of young young lads, I suppose. His, 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 his take was to whip us into shape, so I get it. But, yeah, we were pretty pretty scared of the guy. And, he, yeah, he just, he, just, he just pounded us all the time with jobs <laughs> and things like that. So, yeah, not great memories of him. But, um, yeah, I don't think he was there too long, to be honest. No, and Ian Wone. Ian Wone was somebody when he was a player at Swindon. I was really gutted when he decided to go to America instead. But I think generally Ian Wone's career, when we were kids, he was a quite a useful and very well liked footballer. It's kind of one of those players, perhaps because he never made it into the England um, setup. He, he's kind of forgotten in that respect now. But he was a hell of a player, a hell of a foot on him. Oh, he's left footed, wasn't he? he just yeah. had. The sweetest left foot, um, and he used to t- he used to t- teach us of what he called the ten grand a week corridor. He said if you can just if you can just get because obviously he played as a wide player. He used to say if you could just get the ball out your feet and whip it into that corridor there, one day you earn you earn mega money. He used to say, and that was his skill. He could just he could just touch the ball out of his feet and just just put that one in. You know, sort of like behind the defenders and in between the keeper that he couldn't quite come and get it, um, but. You know, that's the type of player and coach he was. He used to, you know, he, he used to have the centre halves putting the ball on the edge of the box and practicing for it, trying to hit free kicks in the top corner, um, because you know he just wanted he just wanted the game played like the way he did. Um, but sadly, those centre halves probably didn't ever hit the top corner. But <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is a time, as you say, where we're in financial turmoil. So for you guys, because. You know, it may be ability, it may be because of financial issue, it may be a combination of both. But although some of the guys that you played alongside in the youth team don't go on to have, you know, long careers, but they do make it into the first team, people like Luke Garrard, uh, Kyle Lapham, Ashen Holgate, David Stroud, Chris Taylor, who was just before you, Matt Borman, Ben Wells, and people like Lee Henry got really close as, as well. Because of the financial situation, did you see that at the time as an opportunity to try and get into the first team, or were you just like, "Oh, we're just you know playing with the with the pro with the with the first at the moment"? No, I don't think you do. To be fair, I don't think you actually think. I don't think you actually think logically at all as a young young lad in that position, which is, you know, it's crazy really. But you know, you got all these young guys. They're they've got their hearts set on being footballers. Their chances of any of them actually making it is is pretty slim you know i think we got paid our first year as a scholar i think we got paid 45 pound a week 
Um, and I think we, the local lads managed to squeeze in over 30 pounds because we didn't live in the digs. Um, they, they, they did this thing where they paid our parents another 30 pounds, but obviously most of our parents gave it to us. So, you know, we were, we were, we were doing like a kind of a job for 75 pound a week. Now, really, when you, when you sort of break that down, it's not much at all, um, to certainly like get through the week. Uh, and at the same time we were going to college, uh, and trying to, trying to do, um, some courses and pick up ed- education. But you've got all these guys that, you know, are desperate to be footballers. They're not going to put much effort into the college side of things. Um, they're all, um, so in that sense, you've got these ridiculously low odds of actually getting through to make a career out of something that you're given three really important years of your life for. And you're getting paid peanuts and probably missing out on education, you know, other education that would be helpful. So when you, you put it into perspective, it's probably a really risky thing to get into, isn't it, when you think? Mm. But, um, you know, for that one one out of 50 player that makes it and has that chance, it's, it's probably worth it, isn't it? Because it's a dream for everyone. But when you actually break it down, it's, it, it, it's a really tough thing to actually have to do. Um, and you know, three years of of your learning life is a is a long time, isn't it? So mm. those guys, you know, they all like you mentioned, they all kind of got close, but um, it was uh, yeah, it was it was only sort of like a, a, a couple that actually managed to you know play a few games as a result of this whole process, which yeah, is, is, is amazing really when you think about it. So before we move on to more pro stuff, I mean three years there they were quite successful to be fair you had some good fa cup youth runs um you know like i said plenty of players did you know go on to play for the first team and go on to decent non-league careers i've got to ask though whose boots did you clean that was my one thing i look back on them with the fondest of memories i i pride myself on being a boot boy um i took a lot of i, I put a lot of effort into that but my my biggest coup was getting tommy mooney that was wow. That was um, sort of like a cherry uh, pro to have because obviously all we were doing it for was trying to get a tip at Christmas, um, <laughs> and it used to be great. Obviously, we cleaned these boots all year, and it was it was I mean, it was a lot a lot of hours out of the day really when you think about it because um, each of them had about three or four pairs, and they seemed to all get muddy each day. When you think they only probably wore one, but yeah, so we cleaned those. I had had Tommy Mooney, and what we used to always do is obviously we had a boot room at Swindon. And all the pros had to walk past it to get into the home dressing room. So coming up to like the start of December, we used to just just edge our way out into the corridor as we were cleaning the boots. So you you, you know you could catch an eye, or catch a glimpse, and say hello to your pro as he was walking past, just to give him a reminder that Christmas was coming. But I think Tommy Mooney gave me two hundred quid Whoa. that Christmas, which was you know which was a was mega bucks really. Um, in comparison wow. with some of the other pros, I don't think there was any tight ones out there. Um, but yeah, that was like that was like one of the one of the best things that I had that I managed to get a good tip at Christmas. But yeah, it was part of like being a being a scholar, though, wasn't it? It was uh, you know doing all these chores and, and and being the being the boot boy. And it was you know like if you if you I always look back at it and I always used to think it was it, it was us just doing the jobs. But it does sort of like mould you into you know, into a bit more of an adult, doesn't it? Be having all these responsibilities. But um, yeah, Tommy Mooney was a was a great pull. I think I got him for two seasons as well. So oh, it was, he uh, definitely didn't get him for two. He was only for one. 
was it one? Was yeah, it? Yeah, I must... one. Oh, it's a sore point for us, you know. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yeah. So I think but we always had a couple. So you usually got like a younger player, and then you tried to get your hands on like one of the top guys. So two hundred. Uh, yeah. Days. There you go. Boom. Yeah. I probably spent it in a, in, a, in a couple of days, but. <laughs> there you Absolutely. go. Why not? So, were the, was this time the best time for you? I, I talked to a lot of footballers, and they always talk about these two or three years, depending on the era, as as the greatest of the times playing football. Was that the case for you? Uh, I'd probably say no. I mean, they were great times. I mean, I'd love to go back there now and and do it all again. But um, yeah, like I said, it was it was it was trying to make something of yourself. You know, you're 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 not you haven't achieved anything yet. So there's a lot of pressure. You know, we also had to go to college, which I actually took quite seriously. I, I was, you know, I was quite, I was one of probably the only, I think only two of us, two or three of us actually took on a, an actual course. So I did like, um, maths and business studies at college, whereas all the other lads did like a sports, sports course, um, sports science or something like that. But they were just stupid because they were, they were all together. So they always used to get in trouble. Whereas the guys that were um, doing a proper um, course, like me, I think Ian Herring, um, Aaron Salt was another one. Another one. Yeah. Yeah. We'd be sat in this maths, maths class, like just, just trying to chat to birds, really, and uh, messing around more than the other guys because they were all together. Everyone was watching them. So we got away with murder at college, which was, which was probably a good thing. But then, you know, I came out of it with a couple of A-levels, which actually have helped me out um, further down the line. It, it got me sort of a job interview, the job I'm at the moment. So... Um, in that sense of things, it was um, it was fairly important looking back. But yeah, I think I think the, the best times that I can remember were the were the initial you know first few years in football where it was you know I was actually playing those 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 years of being a scholar were behind and it, that that goal had been achieved. And then you know I, th- I always look back as the actual playing years as as, as the best times. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. Sure. Well, you start getting the attention of Andy King, you know, when you're still a scholar, don't you? So it's 2003, four season, when you start emerging into the first team. So you're cleaning Tommy Mooney's boots and and also, you know, a teammate as well. What, what do you remember of your integration from the youth team towards the first team? Yeah, that, I mean, that year was was I mean it's a bit hazy I mean the people that you remember are not the Tommy Mooney's I mean in all in all fairness like he's probably a great guy but he didn't he didn't put a lot of effort or time into actually you know doing anything with the younger players um he was kind of like this not the superstar but you know what I mean he was the top player uh, and he sort of came and came and went and did his own thing whereas you know you had people like a ad Vivash who were a bit more the old school and they They'd have an eye on the younger lads, and they would they would be quietly sort of coaching them, offering them offering them advice, um, and then you had the sort of other side of things where you saw and you started to see what it was like day to day for foot, you know the football lifestyle and and the jokes and the fun and and the banter that they had. You know, people like Alan Reeves, um, who you know pretty much you look at it and you think, I mean, he pretty much based his entire day his entire weeks on just trying to make people laugh I think Alan Reeves he was that kind of guy and uh you know so you kind of you're kind of thrown straight in at the deep end because you're a young lad you're probably going to be the brunt of all the jokes which we probably were um and that's just football life I suppose and you 
and how you react to that is probably how you earn the respect of some of these old school players. Um, and Reeves, he was one of them. You know, he stands out for me. Um, and most of the things I remember were him because, he, like I said, he was just everything he did. He tried to. He, it was a joke. He'd it, it, always turn it and just try. If he could make one out of twenty people laugh, his you know it was like his job was done. You know, so um, it was it was kind of getting it was getting into that 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 way of life but um like i said i think i think you sort of earn earn your place don't you You slowly start to be integrated like i remember um when kingy was like a few players short for training he used to come over and it was like you know that time in the playground where you all stand stood there hoping to get the pick and and he he, he was very you know sort of like clever about how he did it but he knew he wanted to pick and and that was him just testing them and seeing how they'd react to, to sort of playing with the, the first team, really. Yeah. What are your memories of Andy King? I loved him. I thought, you know, he's the guy that, uh, well, I mean, he was sort of like the guy that everyone loved to hate, really. I, I, I don't think he was a particularly popular manager, but as a bloke, I mean, as a person, he was great. I mean, he was, he's very, I think, I think if you said like, a, a, he's not a football guy, as such, although uh, everyone used to say he was very good at like talent spotting, but there was a few funny stories about that, wasn't there? With the Freddie Eastwood, was it that come and scored a? Was it Freddie Eastwood that's come and scored a hat trick at, at the county ground in a Resi game, and then he on trial and he he didn't sign him, and then he went to Southend and started banging in loads familiar. of goals. But, familiar, yeah. yeah, but he was like a real, he was just a real character. I mean, anyone that sort of like played with him I uh, sorry it was managed by him he was, was just like this again like Reevesy and him were similar people where he was he was sort of center of attention he he was a bit of a show off but he was also quite like you, you kind of feared him at the same time I remember he you know he sort of dragged me into the uh, office once when I was sort of getting close to the first team uh, and really laid into me and sort of gave me a bit of a hard time for something I can't quite remember what it was but um I remember just starting crying in his office, which was a terrible thing to do, really, I thought. But he quickly switched from, like, that that like sort of cutthroat manager to just being a normal, you know, human. you got this young lad crying there, and he switched and made it, you know, sort of made me feel better. And and, and I think it probably showed him how much I cared about things. And and he did give me my chance. He, 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 he threw me in um, slowly. I mean, I, me- I remember um, that first season, the... The, I think he said it was the 0304 was the first season. I think I played one like LDV Vans game that season, which was a was the first sort of shot at you know getting a chance, I suppose. And I didn't actually feel like it went that well. I think me and Luke might have started the game together. Luke Garrard. Um, Luke came on. It was it was it was you and Ian Herring played, but he'd already played a, a, a few times. But, yeah. but Garrard might even come on for you. Um, but yeah, you were the two guys, the two young guys that were that were in the side. I think Luke had already made his debut. It was your full, full debut and a few others, have, you know, scratched around, hadn't they? Yeah, and I remember coming away thinking, because it was kind of felt a bit like that. I mean, we were teammates, but it felt like it was a bit of me or Luke kind of thing. You know, both young lads, we're not we're not always going to get a chance um, mm-hmm. to play these kind of games. And I think I came away from that one thinking, oh, I didn't do too well. But I think that was the point where um, we started to get involved a little bit more. And then the season after that, 
Um, I remember I, was, I went to a lot of games. I was always on the bench. I never got on. I was a sub. I was a sub not used or, or not even on the bench for a lot of that season. But, you know, that that, that, that was a great thing because it, it obviously gave me more time around the first team. It showed me what it was all about. Um, and it was quite funny as well. I remember um, my first away trip, um, obviously, some of the longer journeys, we stayed in a hotel overnight. And uh, first first time I stayed away, I was I was ruined with Reebsy. Which I thought at the time was maybe because he was older and you know probably might look after me a bit in terms of me having my first sort of trip away. But yeah, I mean, like it just it just battered me the whole way there. Um, just maybe like he was saying things like, "Oh, Pooks, I do like to sleep naked, so if I wake up with a bit, you know a bit of morning glory, don't be alarmed and all this." You know, it, slowly like doing it literally all day. So to the point where I was getting into. Uh, the hotel thinking what the hell is going on tonight i was you know i was kind of bricking it a little bit to be fair but um, all that kind of thing just gets you used to how they did it um and it was really strange i mean like that wasn't like at football as we know it today it was like we used to go there on the way you know if we played at a sort of like a seaside town or something we'd have fish and chips for food um, you know, like I remember being in the in the hotel room with Reevesy once, and we were watching Countdown. Um, he was I had to make him cups of tea and get him biscuits and all this. It was like I was just like his little skivvy, but I thought I better do it just to keep him, you know, in the good books. And like someone like Andy Gurney, like would just just walk in your room. I remember he just walked in the room, opened the window, smoked a cigarette out the window, and then walked off. And I was like. Wow, is this what it's like? What it's like then? Is it football? You know, I, I I didn't I didn't know any of these things. So, you know, it was kind of like a sort of like a bit of an introduction to to life and, and and how they did it back then. Which, I mean, in comparison with how it is today, I mean, it's it's completely different, isn't it? But yeah, yeah that was that was how it all kind of slowly started. Those sort of like days away and sub not used, but being a part of that first team squad, it was probably quite crucial, really. Absolutely it was. And I, I love how nonchalant you are about your debut because most people talk about their debut like, finally, all those years of hard work. But you're like, oh, it was the it was the LDV. Doesn't really matter, does it? But here's a trivia question. You made your full debut against Boston, October 2003. Can you name another player that day who made their first appearance in English football? And scored as well. First in English football. In English football, played their first ever game in the football. You know, in 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 the pro game. I'm pretty sure it was. They no definitely idea. scored his first goal in 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 football. Um, it was Adebayo Akinfenwa. Oh right! Look at what, that. In that game. In that game, that was his debut for Boston. He'd been playing overseas um, and in Wales, I think, and then he joined Boston very briefly. And he played and scored in that game. Your debut and his debut in English football. Wow! There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I played against him quite a few times. I've actually got a really good picture um, of me. I think I might have been playing for Cheltenham actually, but it was. I think he was at Gillingham. And I was like, I'm right up behind him. I mean, he looks like an absolute, he's so strong. Uh, and I'm like uptight. And, and every time that there's a conversation now, now like I always always put that photo into the groups and say, look, you know, here's a lesson <laughs> for any defender. You need to get tight, stand up, be strong. Uh, but all my mates are bored of it by now. But I, I've, I've kept that photo for, 
for a while, but no, I didn't know he, he played for them. That was that was that's a good bit of trivia. Very very brief um, spell, but it makes the stat correct. You're Swindon there fan, you Swindon fan, you saw all but two games in the Premier League, give or take. You were there at Wembley. What was it like sitting on the bench that night at the Withdy? That was yeah. That's the, the probably the period of uh, of the football that I don't rem- I remember the least, apart from that that game, which is strange. Um, obviously, it was a massive game, um, and there was actually lo- so much going on. Obviously, it was on television as well, which is a it was a big thing as well. There was a, that that stadium in itself is so unusual. I mean, there's I mean, there's no football stadium like it. I mean, you can't really call it a stadium, can you? I suppose, no. but yeah, it was. Uh, it was just one of those nights. I remember, I remember actually at one stage thinking I was going to have to come on, and 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 this probably goes against what anyone else was would say, but I didn't really wholeheartedly want to. It was such a tense sort of like scenario, and I remember Sam Parkin. He he took one in the mouth and come over like with his mouth bleeding. He'd lost a tooth. You know, it was that kind of night, and I was thinking, "Wow, this is, this is serious." But um, yeah, but then again, it was sort of backed up with loads of disappointment, wasn't it? So um, I don't remember too much about the game. I just remember afterwards, we all sort of went back into the dressing room. Andy Gurney whipped out his cigarettes during um, Kingy's sort of like debrief, but everyone was just so down. Sort of like it was just one of those nights missed opportunity, but. Um, yeah, I, I just, I just think what could have been really, I suppose. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite strange to be in that position and and be watching it from the side. Like I was, like you said, I was a fan, and I was kind of, you know, in two two sort of minds. On one one mind, you're watching it as a fan, thinking, oh, this would be great if we get a result here, and you know, loving the fact that it was loads of Swindon fans there as well. Um, but then obviously this idea that I might have to have some involvement. So uh, <laughs> it was quite amazing, really. But um, yeah, disappointing night. I remember um, I remember all the all the lads actually had a night out planned as a sort of celebration. Um, but I, was, I wasn't allowed to go out with those guys and wasn't involved. So the journey back was horrendous. There was only like a handful of people on the bus because everyone else had gone out. Um, so we sort of like made our way back to Swindon with, I think it was just like the kit man and a few, few of us lot. So yeah, pretty disappointing night, but again, yeah, it was, it was just all sort of like a learning curve for me at the time. Yeah. And I imagine the following seasons kind of the same really, because you're around the squad at sporadically, um, a few unused, but you play a little bit more. And then at the end of the season, I remember you and, and you, and you, youth teammates starting to emerge and I remember Kyle Lapham having a couple of games where he he looked like he was going to be you know a regular in the future and he, I think he got young player of the year and then just disappeared it just didn't didn't happen for whatever reason the following season there was that game against Huddersfield where we had two players sent off and oh, it just was a bit messy but he played really well in that game um and and it just it just felt like that they, there was this sense that Swindon were thinking about the future and integrating. And like I said before, it, sometimes you feel like it's because they have faith in the youth players and sometimes it feels like, well, they've got no choice because of finances, you know, as people like Sammy Parkin are just about to leave. Yeah. Well, it was like that. I mean, you, you probably listed all of them, but, you know, like those kind of guys, they got 
they got what you'd say was a chance, but I mean, how do you define a chance at, at, at making it as a footballer? Is it one game? Do you, is that all you have? Like Kyle, probably, you know, you'd say he was he was in and around it, but he never started a game. Probably like Ben Wells didn't really um, didn't really get a start. But they, you know, the the name they were there, they were there or thereabouts. But it takes a lot more than that to um, sort of get what you'd class as a real chance, a real opportunity to, you know, not just have one game but start two or three in a row and see how you adapt, because that's also part of football, isn't it? Like, not just being able to come on and look good for a little substitute cameo, but, you know, you play one game on a Saturday, how 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 do you react to sort of recovering, getting ready, preparing for a game on a Tuesday? That's more to the point what you need to be able to do, isn't it? So, yeah, when you look back and you think of all those guys, because we did have some really good young players, um, they sort of got close, but, yeah, they never, they never quite got that opportunity, and... And I did, and I know I did, because, you know, Kingy was that guy who liked me, you know, he, t- he believed in me, and, and, and as a result, he wanted he wanted to give me that chance, and then he, I think he wanted to look back and say, oh, I did that, you know, I, I gave him his chance, and, and he became a player because of my decisions, um, and, and uh, for you know, that's why, you know, I always, always have such fond memories of him, but I, I'm so grateful that he kind of gave me give me that run of games that I got the next season, which, you know, which uh, probably gave me a real good base to, to kick on from. It's 3-0. And it's Alan Reeves. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. 2005-6 isn't a great one in Swindon history but it's a pretty one for you in your career because it's when you become a first team player so you're pretty much in Andy King's first team throughout the start of the season the results don't go our way what's most frustrating about that time is we're never tonked at the first half of that season where Andy King's town career comes to an end we're always losing by one goal here or there maybe the occasional two goal deficit but it was it was really frustrating because you know we had we had people like Jane, you know, Jamie Curtin came in, you know, guaranteed goals everywhere else, um, and you had Tony Thorpe come in, and the squad was there, but just didn't click. What what do you think happened? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's probably that that exactly what you mentioned is probably the 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 reason I got my chance that I did. You know, what was there to lose? We didn't we didn't particularly have. I wouldn't say we had a really standout standout team that year. But yeah, like you said, it was only narrow, narrow defeats. But I mean, I can only remember it from sort of myself looking out. And at that time, I was—if it sounds weird—but I'd kind of gone away from looking at things as a as a fan of Swindon. I'd kind of gone for it, thinking as it from my own perspective as a player. Then, so you know, I was I was trying to trying to do everything um, possible to keep keep that sort of chance going that he'd given me and. Um, I just couldn't believe my luck, really. I mean, it, when you sign as a as a first first year pro, I can't remember what money I was on, but it was absolutely peanuts. Like, really, when you think about sort of how you, how much you'd need to live live on just to get pay your phone bill and things these days, but it was nothing. But I remember um, in the contract that I I signed, it was it was sort of like game related. So I think after making one first team appearance, my money went up to another level. Then I think after five appearances, it went up again, then 10, 
then I think it was 20 perhaps. I can't remember what the actual maximum was, but by Andy King giving me the start that he did, I got to that level straight away. So um, I just remember it being sort of like a whirlwind. You know, it was the first time in my life I'd earned money um, and I was doing it playing football. And each time that I sort of got further and further into uh, playing, it was then sort of like giving me extra money and, and I just, I just couldn't, kind of couldn't believe what was going on, to be honest. But uh, the results and the, the sort of team aspect, I, just, I mean, they're just a distant memory for me now because everything was kind of, uh, the focus was always, was always just sort of like trying to, trying to keep that going. And um, yeah, with Andy King leaving, it was probably, probably not a great thing for me personally, but I guess that's football, isn't it? Results weren't quite going their way, but it opened up an opportunity for me and um, I kind of, kind of couldn't, couldn't, that season itself could not have gone any better for me. But like you said, it was a really, it was a really dull and, and it ended up being a really bad season for the town, didn't it? So a bit of a ups and downs, I suppose. But yeah, personally, it was, it was, it went, it was my chance and it was, it was that sort of 10 games that you sort of you're praying to get really I guess to yeah. start start your career I get this feeling that people listening will be wound up by what you're saying but I I, I get it I totally understand like it, it gets to a point where this is now your career and you, you know although it's not going well you know your career is progressing and it's maybe the reason you're in the team who knows but what, what was it like because you're look you're a Swindonian you're 20 years old at this stage. You're going out on a Saturday night. Swindon are losing. What was that like? I mean, you must have got stick. I, I remember there was plenty of rumours of people having run-ins with Michael Pook. Whether they were true or not, I don't know. But was it was it tough at that stage for you as, as a youngster trying to have a good time, but with the pressure of Swindon Town not being good? Yeah, no, that was the, that's what, like you say, it's a frustrating thing for other people looking in, I suppose, as Swindon fans, because... They're not Michael Poop fans. They don't worry about um, whether I'm going to sort of progress my career. They mm. want their team to do well, and that's totally understandable. But, you know, I was having the time of my life. I, I, was, I was playing football. I was getting paid to do it. I was having all these amazing experiences, like, you know, on and off the pitch, really. I mean, just being a footballer is just amazing. Like, the, you know, the, the games themselves, being able to go out and play in front of a crowd you know you've got your family in the crowd like my dad still went to every game it was all it was all sort of like coming thick and fast and it's it is it is overwhelming really as a young kid and um, like I said I was getting paid for the first time so what you know what better thing to do than go out and spend some money uh, you know on the town and and, and and but that's what people did you know the, the, the only difference was that I was a local guy uh, and after a after a defeat, like you said, I'd be going out, but I'd be going out in Swindon because that's where I'd lived. So I guess the guys that lived in Bristol or Birmingham or wherever, you know, they still probably did the same. Yet um, they were just doing it in a different place, and they weren't running into those people that had been in the town end and just watched a you know a defeat. So, I mean, there was a there was times where people would come up to you, but in general, to be perfectly honest, I know. I know there's black people. There's going to be fans that think um, I was, a, you know, I wasn't probably their cup of tea, or or this, that, and the other. But people were so supportive. Like people would come up to you and fans and talk to you, and and there was always a lot of um, rumours and stories. I read them myself about people saying, you know, you just got beat. What are you doing out? Which people would 
say, but they'd say it in a subtle way. You know, they wouldn't come steaming across and 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 do it in a threatening manner, or, or never happened to me anyway. I thought, I, th- I I look back and think people were supportive, but you know, I can totally understand um, people thinking that you know whether you should be going out after a after a defeat. But uh, I mean, life's life. So it, it, you know, it means it means everything to you when you're in that moment and trying to get a result. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're sort of like young guys and. And you, you know, you got to enjoy yourself, and and that's part and parcel of it as well. And that's that's some of the things that I look back on and and say to myself, you know, I I, ha- I was so fortunate. I had I had, you know, I was getting paid to play football. Some of my friends were going to uni, and you know, going out on a Saturday night and spending money, you know, they might not have it. Uh, and that was just a lucky position to be in, I suppose. But yeah, I, I mean. Just to answer it, really, I suppose I, I just found everything quite positive. I know there was people there that didn't like me as a footballer, but I, I wouldn't say that I ever saw too much in the way of anyone being, you know, too too upset about anything along those lines. But yeah, that was that's just how I remember it, really. No, no, fair enough. And um, if Ionora was he on a hide into nothing that year? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it was a terrible thing for me personally. I'll go back to that. He, you know, didn't particularly. He was probably one of the guys that took me out of the team. Um, but yeah, he just he just came in at such a strange time. It was there was so much going on. Obviously, on the pitch, the results were like you say. We were we weren't getting beat heavily each week, but you know the results weren't going our way. And then I just remember it being a bit of a. It, it didn't feel right. It, you know, he didn't feel like he was the manager as such. In my opinion, it felt like he was just kind of there um, as a bit of a stopgap, really. Um, and then you had that thing with Ron Atkinson that came along. Mm. Um, I don't know if you remember that, yeah. but it was just like, it was it was just a really strange time to be, you know, you'd had you had all these, these managers that were like, well, you know, sort of like, it was quite a serious thing. And then the next minute you've got like a film crew, you know, trying to film the manager giving a team talk before a game. It just didn't feel right, you know, and I think, all that added together, like you say, is probably probably he was on a hide into nothing, and I mean it didn't really work out for him, and and it, it didn't really work out for me either. So yeah, that was I don't know how many games if he was in charge. It was actually probably more than I think I'd imagine. It was yeah, quite it was, a few, wasn't it, it? It was it was the majority of the season because if you think yeah, um, he was definitely in charge when we beat Bristol City in the league, which was the televised game. That was November, so I think Andy might have left around October, and he was there for the remainder of the season you know so he was there for the majority but it was always sort of like I remember he was always like is he is he because he'd have to insist that he was the manager and not the caretaker you know because yeah. they, ne- they never really unveiled him sort of no clearly, and that's exactly how it felt he didn't quite have that that sort of fear factor that other that you get with a manager um and he also didn't quite have that confidence you know he, he probably thought you know it seems a bit harsh but you know, he, I think he, you know, it was all new to him as well, um, and it just didn't, it didn't really quite work. Um, I don't remember a lot of those games because, to be honest, I didn't play as much under Ify. I mean, I was kind of out quite quickly, and I had a really bad year. I mean, the start of the season couldn't have gone any better, and then once Andy King left, a lot of things went downhill. And and in amongst that, I had that drink driving episode, which, you know, was the biggest black you know it was the biggest black mark against me really it was the worst thing that happened um but that coincided with sort of falling out the team and that i remember that being the time when if he was there because before that happened i was talking about 
signing the new contract. Then I did that, and you know, it really it really set me back, and and rightfully so, to be honest. But it was, yeah, it was it was kind of going from that perfect start, everything was going well for me personally, to being in a team that wasn't doing too well, and then I started to fall away and personally didn't do as well. So, you know, you talk about highs and lows in football, and it's kind of summed up in one season. There, I went from went from as high as a you know a real high to to a real low to be honest so um yeah it was a strange strange season strange time um as well and then it picks up for you the next season which is your probably your most successful season for swindon it's a good season for the club as well uh 2006-7 promotion straight back from league two crazy another crazy year that's the only way we do it swindon isn't it so you know dennis wise now for someone your age dennis wise is a huge name um kind of lost in the world of that newcastle united gig really um and you know doing celebrity tv whatever the hell it's called reality tv um but when he rocked up at Swindon, it, it seemed like a real coup at the time, especially with Gus Poyer as well. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing, really, that Swindon managed to get someone like that. Um, and then to be backed up by Gus, who probably goes a little bit unnoticed, really, because obviously the assistant managers tend to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what a coup. But I think in typical Swindon style, that was the year... I always talk about sort of the roller coaster of Swindon where we seem to have no money, then we splash a load of cash, then we're in financial trouble again. And it seemed like when Dennis Wise was there, we were at the, the top of the roller coaster. We were chucking some money around because they must have been to get that, you know, him and him and Gus as as management as a management team. It was it was quite amazing. But yeah, he was he, he just brought a different aspect to to the club. Um obviously the professionalism but I remember the first day of pre-season, we all had a time where we had to get to the training ground. So instead of your typical, all the players, you know, get together, have a chat and then go out and train together. It was, it was like a, it was such an, I can remember it now as well. It was such a strange introduction. It was like, you went to the, you went to the training ground, you got your kit, you got changed on your own. And at Wombra, there was like pictures out the back. So you walked through the bushes and just in the middle of the field was Dennis Wise and Gus Poyer, who you know you, you, you kind of idolised and watched as a kid, and you're thinking, "Wow, this is crazy." So he had to walk over, say hello, basically, and then he was stood in the middle of a 500 meter running track, and you know after about two minutes of saying hello, and he was quite straightforward, um, you pretty much had to do this this two laps of this track um, on the clock, and that was the first test. You'd walk. I mean, he took down your your um, results from that. Then you'd walk away, and that was it done. That was the first introduction. So this guy that you know, yeah, the, all these, you know, memories of watching and you know thinking, well, how's this going to be? It was quite a strange start. You know, it was quite low key. Didn't really give you, you know, the the sort of big speech. It was just in the middle of the training ground, and then we went away, did some more fitness tests, and that was the benchmark then for the rest of the season. He took those results, put you within um, sort of like you know, sort of like likability, sort of running wise. And then we we went from there. But his pre-season, in comparison to anyone else I'd done, was was one the hardest I've ever done, but also two the best because it was so it was it was all about improvement. It was all about fitness. It wasn't it wasn't like midfielders running with the defenders. It was everyone running against their 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 own times. So you you could only 
you know you could only better yourself you weren't just trying to beat your other teammates and I think you know it was an eye-opener for us we we started eating breakfast at the club we started walking across into the the uh, conference centre to have lunch which was put on for us and turning it from you know which was a pretty old school football club to a really sort of modern way of going about football and living and training and you know, it's no surprise that we started the season really well. I don't think because you know he, his preparation was just second to none. It was it was an awesome preseason that was. Yeah, you got to go to Ibiza as well, didn't you? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we did. We we got to go to Ibiza. I think. Yeah, I, I I thought there'd be more to it than than what it was. I, I, you know, we we got to go out as well on the last night, which everyone thought was it a trick. You know, how do we go about this? But we had one rule. He gave us one rule on the trip, and that was to make the bus. The bus left the hotel the next day at 7 a.m. So, I mean, Ibiza style, that's that's not, um, you know, within the realms of uh, places still being open, is it? 7 a.m. So I think we made it by about an hour, got back to the hotel, stuck, stuck our stuff together. And I, I always remember Andy Gurney was still, like, pissed as a fart as, he, as we were getting on the bus and, like, making a bit of a mess of himself. And uh, I'm not sure whether that stood him in in great stead going forward but um i think everyone pretty much made it i remember um, me and andy nicholas we went to pasha um nightclub that trip and bear in mind the bus left at seven i think we came out at about six and you know i believe it's not not particularly like the, the kind of place you can flag a taxi down but we managed to pay like this local guy um, a few euros to to take us back to the hotel so we just made it but yeah it was a pretty weird place to go on a pre-season tour but the, the thing that amazes me is that everyone was so in awe of Dennis Wise and, and, and respectful of him. And we'd had such a good preseason that you didn't get anyone that was, you know, talking about sneaking out or, or wanting to get out and, you know, go, in, go into Ibiza. It was just, it was still sort of pretty pro- professional and we were kind of there again to, to bond, but we were there for football as well. So um, it just goes to show the sort of respect everyone had for, for him really as a, as a guy. Yeah, I do wonder, I do wonder, although, of course, Sturrock comes in, does a good job, gets town up, finishes the job that Wise started, I do wonder what could have been had he stuck around for a year or two. Yeah, I think it would have been, I mean, the club would have been completely changed, although we've probably been even more broke than we were when we ended (laughs) that season. I think... I think um, obviously Dennis Wise came in and he obviously demanded what he wanted for himself and for the players. I mean, he got we were on an absolutely phenomenal win bonus that season, um, which was I'm sure it was part of the reason the club was in such a pickle at the end of the season. But yeah, I mean, he just came in and said what he wanted, and the club said yes. So he said he wanted a, a better bonus for the players. So you know, we were more driven to to, to achieve what he wanted and. You know, it was it was great. I mean, we, I think I think um, the bonuses were always worked out after the seventh game of the season or something like that. So if you won the first game of the season five nil, you didn't necessarily get a win bonus. You know, it was you couldn't just get off to a super start because they were always structured. You know, if you were top of the league, you'd get more money for a win kind of mm. thing. So um, yeah, I think we start. I mean, after seven games, I'm pretty sure we were top or thereabouts, weren't we that that season? So um, from a player's perspective, we were getting um, this great win bonus, and uh, it couldn't have been going any better. I think, and everyone was sort of like made up with uh, 
what he'd done for everyone, really. It was great. Yeah, does that explain why people like um, Andy Monkhouse left sort of quite shortly after Wise had gone? And, of course, Paul Ince was there at one stage as well. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, I don't quite understand that to this day, what what that was all about, really. He never really... He never really I mean, he played... I'm not sure how many games he played. Was it one or two? It yeah, just a couple, it? yeah. But again, I mean, do you think of the money that was... Um, being thrown around and I mean what did what did Paul Lintz need out of it it was it was strange that he was there to be honest he didn't he didn't really train or, or do much else but he did play those couple of games I always remember um, on an away trip we used to play poker and I I was broke as always because I wasn't on much money but um, I lost to him at poker and I had to pay him I think it was 50 pound a person and I paid him 50 quid and he went into his pocket he pulled out about a grand's worth of 50 pound notes and then just put my my money in the middle of that you know sort of wrapped it in and put it in his pocket and I thought to myself that just about sums it up doesn't it me giving someone someone some money who's got that much in their pocket but um yeah but that was it that was what it was what it was like really everyone was gutted when Dennis Wise left because I think everyone had such faith in him and thought if he's here we're going to win the league um and when he left it was a real sense of disappointment and you know, guys like you mentioned, like Monkhouse, he was, you know, there. He probably there because of Dennis Wise. I think he he knew him. Uh, he got in there, but yeah, I had, I had a really strange feeling. I, I really think that I turned his opinion. Obviously, he had no clue who I was when he took over, and I think I slowly gave myself a chance with Dennis Wise. And and I I had this thing in my mind where I just thought if he if he gave me the chance, I, I thought there would be one player that he sort of like stuck with because. Um, and I and I and I always I always look back and think you know what could have been you know if he'd have taken taken me uh, with him on his uh, you know on his <laughs> next job but yeah it was clearly not to be but he did take um, Curtis Weston did, yeah. along with him so uh, you know you kind of know when someone thinks something of you and and he was really impressed with like how we did that season me and Curtis he used to sort of talk to us in that manner and and like my confidence level went under him was just, was just like sky high because. I got, he kind of just gave me this belief that, you know, he thought so highly of me, and that's why I thought that when he left, I was think, thinking things like that. But that's the type type of guy he was. But yeah, I'm pretty sure if he had stuck around, we would have won the league and probably gone on to something the next season. But at the same time, the Sturrock came in, and and to be fair, did an equally good good job really on the pitch. So yeah, it's uh, it's 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 you have to wonder what could have been. But I think out of anyone, Sturrock was pretty good appointment after that really yeah I was I was really happy with uh, the appointment of Sturrock because he was like the safe pair of hands he'd only just left well, Sheffield Wednesday so you know um, they really did pounce to get him and you know he, he was a completely different sort of person to Dennis Wise but you sort of just trusted Sturrock just to get the job done yeah he was I mean you couldn't get to they were very you know they weren't very much they did that was similar in their approach to be honest i mean dennis wise had his his sort of professional aspect where he was you know he sort of analyzed a lot of things whereas sturrock was very off the cuff he was very sort of like if it worked one week he'd never he was very superstitious you know non-related football things really isn't it superstition i mean he was really superstitious uh you know the food that he made us eat was these stovies which i'm sure sure everyone spoke about before this like corned beef crap that was mixed with potatoes. It was disgusting, but that's what he thought p- 
people needed to eat before a game of football. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he made us all eat it. But um, he was he was totally different, Dennis Wise. I mean, he had he had a set way of playing. Uh, he expected his teams to play in exactly that way. Uh, you know, he pretty much broke training down into like three moves. I always remember it. It was it was strange, really. He always used to have these three set set sort of ways in which he wanted to get the ball down the pitch. Eventually, wanted to end up at a wide man, cross it in. He wanted two strikers and then one one extra midfielder coming in, and and that's what he he based everything around. And um, to be fair, I think at that level it really works, and because it takes all the decision making out of some some people's minds. And you know, lesser quality players, that's one thing that probably is something that not everyone can control, is it? Decision making. So um, he was he was really good at that, but. Um, yeah, I think I think he was a good appointment, really. And that season, like you say, was was quite a crazy one when you think of all the ups, the, the chops and changes. But yeah, that was definitely the the sort of highlight of my Swindon career, probably highlight of all my footballing career to be able to play that many games in a promote promoting uh, promotion season uh, was pretty amazing. But the the game that the game that makes me I remember the most out of all that season was the first game of the season at Hartlepool away. Crazy. Um, where we won 1-0 and we were absolutely terrible. Well, we weren't terrible, but we should never have won it. No. I remember I remember um, they had like two penalties and, and Peter Bresnavan um, saved both penalties. And um, what makes me laugh is he had an absolute stormer, saved two penalties and he still only got nine out of ten in the advert on Monday. <laughs> and I... I always remember that, thinking, what would a goalie have to do to get ten out of ten in a paper than save two pens and have a clean sheet? But that was the that was the the game that I remember the most because Dennis Wise was had all these things going on and I was on corners and we'd worked on them for like four weeks and we had this one corner where Peaks with Lee Peacock would start at the front. He sort of spin around some and then the idea was to just drop it on his head and we had this one corner that kind of only works once. And uh, I was on them, so that I, I'll never forget that because I was so nervous taking that corner because I felt like it was our one, you know, because we had this one corner regime. I thought if I mess this up, uh, we're not going to get another chance. And then we scored from it, so it was like the biggest. It was a, it was a great win, but it was one of the biggest robberies in football. I think that win because we weren't, we definitely didn't deserve it, but that's what got us, you know, on the front foot for the season, I suppose. And it, it, it sticks out in my mind that game. Hi, this is Yasser Kasim, and you are tuning in to the Loath Strangers podcast. Like most things with Swindon Town, when you have one great moment, it, it all seems to unravel shortly afterwards. And, you know, you go into the next season playing under Starrock. There's there's a lot of rumours of him maybe leaving. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty. Finances are not great. There's that consortium involving the Portuguese guy, um, I think Jose Vega, Rufus, Rufus Brevet, and Jim Little. Um, they're there at the ground with scarves around their necks. It looks like it's going to go through, but it doesn't. What What do you remember from that time? Yeah, um, I mean, there was a few. There was a few times like that. I think that was that was one of the most worrying. Um, I can't remember exactly the season it was, but there was another season as well where the club went into real trouble. And I think I think the players were close to like two months being paid or maybe longer. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? At the same time, you know, you're doing this job and it is, it is 
you know, a great opportunity and it is football. But, you know, all the players and all the staff and the people associated with the club, they still need their paycheck to pay the pay the bills and, and things at home. And um, when it's all up in the air like that, and um, I remember it being, it was it was to the point where, you know, players were, players were getting checks and you know and and hoping they cleared and things like that it's it's not very safe you know it doesn't feel good to be in that position and 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 obviously you're not going to get the best out of people whether it be players on the pitch or just you know everything around the club it was just a a really worrying time I don't remember exactly um how it worked out with um at the end of all that to be honest to come out of it but um as Swindon tend to do, we seem to just find a way of scraping through. But apart from that, yeah, it was just it was just like that kind of feeling, isn't it? I mean, as much as you want everything to go well, you still you know you still need to be paid your wages so you can do you know pay your bills. And, and that was the big worry. I think everyone was getting a bit um, worried about how it would come to an end or if we'd be okay. But um, yeah, we seemed to, it seemed to um, sort itself out in the end, I guess. As far as your swimming career is concerned, it's really when Sturrock goes where it starts to sort of fade, doesn't it? In terms of games and, you know, it, it, you, you become more of a bit part player when, when Morris Malpass takes over. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, to think that season before, how how well I thought I did. I mean, I played in the team that was good at getting a result. I mean, I wouldn't say we were a great footballing team. We had a real knack of winning when we needed to that year. But to think that I was a young player, you know, played over 40 games, I think, that season. And and I think it was like it wasn't straightforward signing for the next season, which is amazing, really. You just got promoted. Um, you played a whole load of games and the manager's not quite sure if he wants to keep you. It's quite a it's quite an unusual situation. But I, I think it was like that with Sturry. I don't think he he was completely bought by me as a player. I don't wonder whether I fit, you know, was fit exactly what he wanted but because we got results and because of his nature and his superstitious like ways I played most weeks because you know we were winning most weeks and he never liked to change a winning winning way so um in that sense it was quite strange but yeah it was it was probably the start of the you know sitting out kind of stage of my swindling career and I didn't get as many chances didn't get as well, not chances but as long a run in the team you know if there was changes to be made I always used to think that I'd be first up kind of thing. That's how it, it felt at that, that season. But yeah, I kind of it was a shame really because it would have been nice to have had that year before and then tried to really progress as a player. But it kind of, it slightly went the other way for me. Whereas, you know, I, I became a bit, you know, didn't quite get the same regularity of, of first team football. And um, yeah, it started to uh, be a bit, you know, a bit, bit hit and miss whether I'd be playing each week. Yeah, I mean, you never sort of get sent out on loan or anything like that. Were, were there options to leave before you actually did? Or were you just... Because you're really close to the first team. It's not as if you're exiled and bombed out of the squad. If you're not, if you're not playing, it's because you're injured or you are at, at least on the bench, aren't you? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I always, I always used to think that about myself, that like I was always that player that if there was a change to be made, it was usually me. It was quite an easy position to think with, isn't it? Centre midfield, it's like... You know, we can we can tr- you can change the shape, you can change personnel in the middle. You don't tend to mess around with, you know, too many too many other spots. You have got your strikers up front that you can play around with a bit. But I always used to think that. But I always used to also seem to be the guy that if it wasn't going well, they'd give him another chance. And you know, especially Sturrock, like 
maybe threw it, put me back in thinking um, that it might, you know, bring bring back some some good results. But yeah, it was it was that kind of season. I remember when Mor, you know, he left and the Morris Malpass came in. I think that was equally tough because I think he decided straight away that I wasn't for him, and I was really sort of left out in the in the cold then. Um, and then it started to, you know, really. I, I was a million miles away from the first team under Malpass. But then things started again. Like I said, things started to sort of not go his way. They didn't get the results on the pitch as much. And and there was a there was a, a period even under him where I got put back in the team. I remember um, he came. He 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 asked me to uh, to come and speak to him in the office, and he was like coming out with these weird shouts, like saying I'd been in the freezer and I needed. And I was about to be defrosted or something, is what he said. So yeah, I remember I remember him putting me back in the team, and I actually played in some really good games under Morris Malpass. I came back in, and I can't remember exactly the fixtures, but I think we played Nottingham Forest in one of them. I think we might have played Leeds. You know, the big games of the season. And funnily enough, found myself in the team, which was amazing. But at the same time, it was uh, it was probably done because he was out of options, and he need, he just probably needed something to change and maybe try and spark. And the fact that uh, you know, I'd been out of the loop for so long. Maybe I'd come in and, you know, just, just give it everything like I tried to always do. But, you know, the results did t- turn around for a couple of games. So it was, you know, it was quite good for me then. But again, he ended up leaving um, and it was on to another manager. So quite a fractured year, really, when you look at it, isn't it? So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it was, it wasn't the, it wasn't the sort of, the season probably everyone's hoping for really no it's unfortunate for you i mean we sort of malpass's career goes sort of goes from one season and overlaps into the following and you know when you do get your chances you do play in big games as you say there and you got to play in front of like you know twenty eight thousand at elland road nearer to the end of it um yeah played in a in derby games against bristol rovers and but you are a part of the the, the very end which is the histon game and the Brighton game before, but what you are a regular in both of David Burns' spells, aren't you? You are. He 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 seemed to rate you quite highly. It seemed. Yeah, he he did give me another shot. I, that, that's the period. I have to be have to be honest. Like that that was the period that at least I remember the least, and it probably says a lot, really, doesn't it? Because that that was a time where we were we were really probably struggling a little bit more so, but. Um, yeah, it just felt like that kind of in and out season where there was no, there wasn't much, you know, it wasn't a regular eleven that were playing. There was quite a lot of changes, you know, obviously changes with management, um, and it and it just it just didn't fall into that season before, you know, the seasons under Sturrock, for example, when you're playing week in week out, and like I said, you have that sort of structured way of playing. That all goes the other way when you've got, you know, different players playing each week under different. You know, different guidance. It's yeah, it just it just didn't fall into any sort of patterns. So um, I found myself sort of in and out quite a lot that year, um, which yeah, it was a shame. And but I don't remember much about when Bernie was uh, in charge. To be fair, um, <laughs> and a lot of people say that about the Malpass era as well. A lot of people sort of go, you know what, the Malpass era just don't don't really remember any of it. You know, just remember bits and pieces. But no. But that's, I think, probably the measure of the coach, isn't it? You know, that's why they don't kick on and become sort of long-term managers because, you know, if you can't remember what happened in it, it can't be, can't be that inspiring. The end for you really is Danny Wilson, it seems. Unless I'm forgetting any major injuries, 
you're pretty much you're not even on the bench for Danny Wilson bar a couple of games, are you? No, he came in like, and yeah, it was again, it was another sort of shock. There wasn't long left, and I think that season was a huge one because we're out of contract to the end of the season. You know, obviously they only had a he, he he'd come in midway through a season or you know towards the end, so there wasn't much time, but. I actually really liked Danny Wilson. He was a really good coach. You know, not that I really got to play under him, but like I, I always thought, you know, this is the he was one of the kind of coaches that, you know, you'd kind of want to play for. He, he, he put on some really good sessions and everything that I loved about training. He was sort of like quite big on. So when he actually came in, I was really enjoying what he was doing. I just wasn't getting a game. And I remember, you know, I remember going into his office and I kind of, I, I kind of asked him, you know, where did I stand and, and he said I was playing the next the next um, game so it kind of answered that quite quickly and he said you know you're going to play Saturday um, so I, I kind of shut up and got out of there and then Saturday came along and I didn't start and I thought oh, okay so I left it another game didn't start the, the next and then I and then I asked him again you know I said like uh, you know where do I stand here because you said I was playing I feel like I'm doing really well in training and this that and the other and he said look you're playing Saturday but Saturday actually ended up being Huddersfield away, which was, I don't know, one of uh, of all the games. I mean, that's the one you didn't want uh, uh, as a sort of introduction back into the team. It's a tough, tough place to go, you know, in any, you know, in any league when they were playing. They were always a tough team to play against. It was a really, it was a really difficult place to go, that stadium. And um, so I remember that that was what I remember with Danny Wilson. I actually got my chance and I played in that game. I just... I was just so gutted that it was like a, a really tough game like that because we didn't play particularly well. I think we lost. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure we lost that game, actually. And, um, yeah, that was that was it, really. That was the final, you know, piece of my Swindon, Swindon career, really. That that was the chance to sort of, you know, show this new guy what I had. And, obviously, it didn't, you know, I didn't play particularly well that day. The team didn't play particularly well. And, and after that, I don't think I started another game. I might have come, come on as a sub um, in a few more but you know after that I kind of knew what was coming and um, yeah that was that was sort of when I when it when it all ended at Swindon. What are you feeling at that point because like like we've discussed there you, you you're pretty much a Swindon fan from birth you know you've, you've worked hard you played over a hundred times for Swindon you know which is more than so many Swindon fans can say D- does it kill the love of Swindon Town as a fan when when you go through it as an employee it does it's yeah it 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 strangely didn't didn't just end my playing career actually in in some respect ended my time as a fan because when you think about it even even moving to another club you still you still then struggle to ever be a supporter again because if you're playing for another team you're not you're not being able to watch the team and, and, and you lose track of where they're at. Um, and and I always think that looking back is is not only was it when I left, you know, the sort of club that I supported, it also ended my support in some way of the team because, you know, I haven't been to, I've only been to a handful of games since I've, I've left, purely because I play football still on those same t- same days and things like that. But yeah, it was, it was really disappointing and, and to have a dad, you know, my dad was like a big Swindon fan as well and, and part of the, the, you know, the pride that I got out of doing it was, you know, being able to put a couple of tickets on the door for my dad and my uncle would come along and, you know, go to every game with my dad. And, you know, he used to pay, you know, pay for a season 
ticket and then he's getting you know free tickets off his son and being able to sit there and watch his son play it was like it was a really proud thing to be able to say that I did so you know all that then came to an end as as well as the sort of unknown of of, of where to go next as a sort of young young guy still trying to make it as a as a player yeah it was it was really tough to take but I kind it kind of understood it as well though you know it was like um it was like uh I, I, I kind of had my run, had my season, new guy came in and he made quite a lot of changes really that year. So um, in that sense, it, it, it wasn't a brutal ending. It, it, it kind of felt like it was coming and, and I could sort of look towards the future and try and try and see what that, that had in store for me. So it was, yeah, it was sad, but um, yeah, it sort of, it sort of, uh, it, it ran its course and it, it, it wasn't meant to be, I suppose. It's 4-1. Matt Hewlett, defending was awful, absolutely awful. Well, the, the next club for you was Cheltenham, where I think it's Martin Allen that signs you, isn't isn't it? And um, you know, you you made captain there, so all these sort of things that you know you just, you don't just you know get signed by somebody with as much managerial experience as, as Martin Allen you don't get handed the the captain's armband unless you have you've got something going for you you know something about you um and then he leaves pretty quickly doesn't he and that that always strikes me as must be one of the most frustrating things that could, that can happen in football when when somebody brings you in and then they leave pretty soon after yeah it seems to happen quite a lot. yeah it seems to Seems to happen sometimes, doesn't it, like that? But yeah, it was, it was just a complete, you know, it was a complete new experience for me. I was, you know, trying to find a job at the end of the day, so it was, it was trying to get that side of things. I had a house in Swindon, and so you know, you have to think about all these other things. And yeah, it was, it was just a completely new, new adventure. I didn't have a lot to sort of back me up, and and the thing is, you, it's a matter of time with football um, as well. You know, you've only got this short window to get things sorted. So it was it was sort of like everything I'd ever known was Swindon. So to be even talking to another club or thinking about playing for someone else was was all a real shock to the system. But, you know, he seemed to want to get me there. Cheltenham, you know, didn't have a great deal of of, of money at the time. So I was, all, I was I was also taking a bit of a pay cut to go there and and uh, had to think about where I was going to live, whether I'd live in Cheltenham and keep my place in Swindon and things like that. So. It was a huge moment of my life, really, because a lot of stuff um, was about to change. But um, that's just football, isn't it? I suppose people, there's certain players that are used to that, like journeymen that have been to loads of different clubs. Um, it just it just so happened that I'd only ever been at Swindon and had to figure it all out from there on. But yeah, it was a, it was probably if you look at it and the grand scheme of things, as good as it could have got, really, going from Swindon to Cheltenham. I mean, it's only down the road. Um, and it wasn't a huge, huge, you know, upheaval. I, I could still live in Swindon, and uh, yeah, I was quite grateful to actually just have somewhere to uh, to go and um, to play play football. It's just to maintain that that professional career, isn't it? Really, you know, when when if 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 you look about it in in terms of career, I'm sure you had options, but to be to stay local without having to buy new property or rent property and things like that, it's absolutely makes sense that that footballers st- stick around. I mean, this is a Swindon Town podcast, so we're not going to talk in great detail about your Cheltenham spell, but I mean, you are forever known for that game, aren't you? 
Yeah, it's weird. We did a Cheltenham one the other day, and um, yeah, it was focused around that 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 game. And uh, it was a it, like we said, and we laughed about on the game. It was just a funny moment in my career, really. The the irony that I've never never really been a goal scorer, and then managed to score three quick goals, and you know all that thing, all that around it. So <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was great for me. I mean, these kind of things, you know, you don't get many things that you can hang on to in football. It's you know, you look back on, on, on people's careers and there's things you can take, you know, like the promotion that season with Swindon. That's something that you've just, you can say you've achieved. It's it's amazing to have that. No one can take it from you. You know, you've done it. Um, and that, that was another thing. It was just a small thing, but it was such, you know, amongst this season with, you know, it was so many lows that season for Charlton. We were sort of in a struggle for relegation just to come out of one game where, you know, I didn't play particularly well. The team didn't play particularly well, but we won six five and I scored a hat trick and <laughs> and weirdly get remembered for it. So yeah, it's quite it's quite funny to to still have that and um, keep you know keep being able to talk about it. But yeah, it's just lovely to you know have something like that that you know you can look back on in ten years time and you know have a conversation. It's uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite cool. I wish I had have uh, maybe scored a hat trick for Swindon to be fair, or or a few more goals at least, but. You know, maybe that's 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 uh, more to the point, right? <laughs> well, I, I remember vividly. Like, I think you scored three league goals in your entire Swindon career, and then you went and scored three in like five minutes or whatever it was for uh, yeah. for Cheltenham, which was a remark. I remember that game coming through, and it was just insane every bit because I think I think they made it five four shortly after you scored your first goal, didn't they? It was just just remarkable fixture. Yeah, if you watch, I mean, if you watch the goals, it's just, it, I mean, they were just going in thick and fast, and um, yeah, it's just, it just, it just makes me laugh that I just was never a goal scorer, never have been a goal scorer, but that one day that you know managed to score three, and one of them was dubious as well. Like they laugh about it because <laughs> it was a big deflection, and um, whether doubt. it was the god, yeah, never, never in doubt, obviously. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> how many how many uh, fans do you reckon left 10 minutes early that game and pretend they saw the whole thing quite a few I reckon yeah me, um, too. me too but l- luckily my mum had, my, actually my mum came to that game which I mean my dad went to all the games but my mum didn't go to every game um, and weirdly she decided to go to that one But so um, yeah that was a nice touch because I remember in the on the DVD, when you watch the when you watch the goals back, you can see you can just see my mum and dad sort of jumping around, celebrating in the crowd when one of the the last goal goes in. So um, <laughs> that was pretty cool to have that as well. So yeah, it was a it was a, it was a great day that one. What happened next was your move into non-league football, which you know resulted in you doing what happens to everybody really in non-league, where you go from club to club trying to establish yourself, trying to get the best deal for you so you could probably do for a living um you spent a little bit of time at forest green rovers but before that you know there's um there's there's a i think brackley and maidenhead it, it, but you'd had you were training with forest green for a while as well it's it, it from my side of things as a football fan it seemed like quite a sad not rapid but a sort of sad sort of move into non-league where you were probably more than capable of of maintaining a a, a football league career what happened during that spell for you yeah it's, i mean sad is it definitely was a sad moment it was really difficult i mean just just a mixture of probably poor decisions and poor advice really in some respect but I left Cheltenham Cheltenham um, I had a year left on my contract and and the manager at the time 
bought in another midfielder exactly the same as me, a chap called Russell Penn. And um, he made it really clear early doors, like I was sort of like training with the youth team and didn't go on the pre-season tour. Uh, he just kind of made it clear that I wasn't in his plan. So, you know, at that point, I didn't really know what was going to go on. But I ended up leaving the club kind of just, just as the season is, was getting underway. So timing wise, it was it was probably a really bad decision. And and the biggest regret I have in football is is the way that I did that. I I, I did it completely wrong. I, I you know I, I think you when you have when you're on a contract till the end of the season, uh, it's kind of pretty stupid to leave um, and not have anything in place, which is which is my biggest regret. But yeah, that's what happened. I I left under the premise I was going to go to York. Um, I went up to York, kind of agreed everything. But what I didn't do is sign a contract before I signed my um, termination of my contract at Cheltenham. And before I knew it, that all went went south at, at York. And I, I was left, um, you know, without a club. And, and, and at that time of a season and at that level of football, people haven't got spare budget. I mean, it's spent within the first couple of weeks. So I just, I just found myself scraping around trying to find a club. Um, and like you say, yeah, eventually went to Forest Green just to train and keep fit and... Um, and 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 just be amongst like full time footballers, but um, I was still trying to um, to find a club at the same time, and I think I went for a couple of months, at least two or three months, without actually uh, signing for anyone. So um, it's quite crazy how quickly that can happen in football. Um, but yeah, it was um, like I say, it was a mixture of poor decisions, but um, yeah, just just couldn't find anything that would that was. Uh, that would work really. So spent a lot of time at Forest Green. I actually ended up signing for them in, in the new year um, after being training with them for so long. And then I didn't actually ever get a, a game for Forest Green. I never started a single game after they signed me in, uh, in January, which was pretty strange. So I was going through this really strange patch and not actually playing much football. Um, and slowly sort of my, you know, sort of aim was, was getting lower and lower down the football and ladder. So it was, yeah, really difficult time and um, probably something that people don't, you know, don't see that side of football, do they? They see all the all the great stuff about, you know, playing at a young age and, you know, all the highs of football. But, you know, people that fall out of football, they still got, they've still got mortgages and uh, bills to pay. And, uh, yeah, it's quite a daunting thing to have, um, you know, to be scratching around trying to find a, a job, if you will. So, yeah, yeah. that was a, that was quite a tough, tough time. But, yeah, it all worked out in the end. I slowly played a few sort of non-league, non-league games. Started playing for Maidenhead. Um, yeah, and then and then started to work in the real world a few years down the line. And um, yeah, it's kind of football became a bit of a sort of a yeah, just a sort of a, a side thing. Really, it's not the main focus anymore. I now work full time uh, for a, for an IT company. Would you believe so? Um, yeah, it's kind of um, changed changed the aspect on everything now. And football's part time. I play for Sirencester Town, um, where I work. I work in Sirencester as well. So, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of gone to a totally different aspect. And I'm actually player coach now this year. So the 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 playing career is is, is kind of looks like it's coming to a slow end actually. But hopefully, I can still give a few more seasons. But we're yeah, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> At what point in, in your non-league career do you do you start to align towards full-time work? You know, like your career now was it was it quite swift, or did you give yourself a couple of seasons? Well, you don't really have that luxury, to be fair. I mean, you kind of have to be really reactive. Like I, I started 
um I knew this guy that said do you want do you want to do some painting and decorating at one stage and I mean I'd never held a paintbrush in my life but um I kind of said to him yeah why not I mean it's it it was when I was playing for Maidenhead as a you know part-time football I was getting paid at Maidenhead but obviously still needed to be working um in the week so yeah I mean to think to think that has to happen within a space of a couple of years is quite is quite um a quick a quick change around really but yeah like you say it's um yeah you kind of have to be reactive and you know take any opportunity you can because you have to slowly you have to slowly change your career goals and 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 what you're actually looking to do because football then becomes part time and you're then in the big wide world trying to get a a proper job as you will so um yeah that was uh, that was a huge transition but difficult but actually ended up working itself out in the end I suppose so yeah you have to just go along with it and roll with it I guess at the time and take what any opportunities that you get yeah and and you had you had a successful few years at Chippenham as well I mean you were part of the team that got promoted weren't you yeah we had a few years at Chippenham which was again that was you know football changes a little bit you go from you know full-time football to part-time something does change uh in terms of you know you're, you're working all day and you go to then play for a part-time team it's uh it's a lot more fun oriented you know you're you're there as an enjoyment obviously you're getting a bit of money for it as well but it's kind of about the the Saturdays with non-league football it's about the games it's about winning you know trying to win win the league like we did with Chippenham it was a great season and um loads of fun involved as non-league football is loads of you know involvement with the fans it's it's that kind of thing where you've got these local clubs you've got these guys that have supported those clubs through sort of thick and thin and um yeah, it's a, it's a bit more of a community atmosphere rather than, you know, the, the bigger picture at somewhere like Swindon where, you know, it's it's more professional and, and you've got a lot more people through the gates. Yeah, those Chippenham seasons were really good. And uh, yeah, like you say, we might managed to get promoted. So it was, um, yeah, those kind of things that you can tick off. Another promotion, that's what it's all about. You know, how, how the club to make it up the league, they, they kind of needed to to get promoted really because um, they've been in that league for a while. So it was a big achievement. Everyone in, you see what it means to people, you know, like a chairman of a club like Chippenham, you get to know them, you know, you see them every every day, um, Saturday at the football, at the game. And um, yeah, it was a good achievement to get those guys up. But yeah, it was it was a good time. Before we wrap up, I've got to say about non-league football, it looks so much, it looks like so much hard work considering you've got to work full time and then play football and train once a week. Yeah, it is. I mean, it like I said, you have to take it for what it is. I mean, I've always been... I've probably always had a, a relatively non-serious aspect like outlook on life and 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 football non-league football has to you have to be turning up for a bit of fun because like you say everyone's doing different jobs throughout the day you know you've got people that work in offices people that work on building sites and you know things like that and and you can't be expected to uh come up to a trade you know training ground at seven o'clock on a tuesday evening and and get beast, you know, get beasted on the do a load of running or anything like that because you're eventually just going to, you know, become tired of it. So it is, it is a bit of a challenge at times, especially in the winter when you, you know, you got the short days and you, you you work all day and then you've got to train. But like I said, it's all about Saturdays at the end of the day. That's what anyone that plays football is just all about those game days. And um, at non-league, it's you know, it's that serious ninety minutes wrapped around a bit of enjoyment, a bit of banter with the lads, and um, you know that kind of that kind of environment but it's still just as competitive as ever like even the league that we're in now with Sirencester every team's out to win it and once you get onto the pitch on a Saturday it's still a serious serious football match it's just um 
yeah, in the week you don't you don't have that full time aspect that you do with someone like Swindon. It's you know it's a lot more sort of uh, it's a lot more fun based and um, yeah, you just try and get out of it what you can. It's um, it's great to still be able to play, to be honest. Yeah. Well, you know, I've I've got you talking here for an hour and three quarters, and you know, I apologise, but I've enjoyed every bit of it. So to wrap up, then, Swindon related, you know, who were the best players that you you, you played alongside at Swindon? Because there were lots. I know. I knew you were going to ask this as well, and I, it's the hardest question I find to answer. I I, I kind of don't really know. I mean, you always think about goal scorers. Um, or players in my position, and 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 I want to say I don't I don't really know one that stands out. I'd probably say just from an ability perspective and like the goals that he scored, I'd probably say Simon Cox probably topped it. I'd say just because you know his approach to football was was spot on, very professional guy. Um, so I'd probably say he tops the list. But yeah, I find that really difficult because. You know, we were at Swindon Town at the end day. There was never really that guy that play I played with that actually went on to just become a superstar. You know, players like Lucas Djukovic was another one who I always think of. Who, you know, I I kind of got to see the start of his career, and now he's gone on to play at a really high level. And um, yeah, like guys like Sean Morrison as well. It's always amazing to see you know them on the telly and playing and you know huge you know huge games in the Championship or the Premiership. You know, it's it's amazing, but um, yeah, I find it a difficult one. But those kind of guys—they're the ones that stick out in my mind as as as, as the the better, the, you know, the best players probably. Who were the criminally underrated then? Criminally underrated. Um, I don't know. I'd you probably I'd I'd probably say it from a biased perspective. A lot of the youth team guys that I played with, you know, the guys that didn't potentially get the chance. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they you'd even class him as underrated. I really liked Brian Howard. I thought he was a great player. I mean, I used to like watch, watching him in training. Um, I don't know what you think, whether he would be considered one of the, the favourites of time, but I don't think he probably would have. But I did, I, did, I did enjoy him. When he was in full flow, I thought he was a really good player. Whether we saw the absolute best of him at Swindon, I'm not sure. But I think they, you know, any player like that that has like a really natural talent is... You know, is one of those that I'd probably put in that bracket, and and he's probably one that springs out to mind. But yeah, tough question, I think. But probably, <laughs> probably just about tips it. No, I think you're completely right. I think he was, you know, he was, he just wasn't the right. He was the right player with the wrong manager. I think, you know, I don't think Andy King quite uh, fancied him as much as uh, I think he had loads of ability and he proved that when he went to Barnsley and beyond, didn't he? So um, I, think, yeah. I think that's that's pretty much spot on. Okay, and the final question then, when you close your eyes and you hear the word Swindon Town, what what are the things that immediately spring to mind? I'm not too sure. I, I had such a good time there and so many years. Um, I can't really put one one particular moment on it but you know that that promotion season we talked talked about was 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 probably the highlight of my my football career you know getting that that many games but it was just such it was just such a great memory like the the ability the, to be able to play for the club that you supported as a boy um watched hundreds of games with my dad and then to think that I'm playing for that team and my dad's then sat watching me you know, like I said, it's a it's a real proud feeling to have. Um, I wish I was, you know, I wish it could have gone on forever. 
Um, but yeah, that 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 idea of just you know playing for the team you supported as a boy is 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 just great. And um, yeah, I'd say that tops it all off. I suppose. Michael Pook, thank you very much. Been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Cheers. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. It's a grand old team to play for. And it's a grand old team to see. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.